All right, you know we like to do some giveaways at the City Life Church every week, and so we don't do this giveaway in this way this often, but was not that opening song that they did tonight just over the top? The bass line and the drums. So come on, I'm going to give a gift card to Chandler. I almost couldn't worship. I was so distracted by their musicianship. Come on, and Brad was, did you hear him doing all those fills? Was that just me? Come on, gift card for Brad. We have an amazing worship team here at the City Life Church. All right, I got one more. This, somebody donated a day pass to, uh, to Bush Gardens. So uh, we have Rob Shepard, who is the plant pastor of a church that's coming on campus here on Sunday afternoons at 4 o'clock. It's Next Level Church, is that right? So I'm going to give this to you that you can do as a giveaway at your vision casting meeting on Sunday. Yeah? All right, so let's, let's, let's pray for Rob and his church before we move on. Father, we lift up Rob to you today. We lift up his plant team, Father, for these vision casting meetings that they're having in this room tomorrow at 4 o'clock, oh God, that your vision for that church, we know that it's come alive in his heart. We know that it's come alive in the hearts of his team, but we pray, Father, that it would come alive in the hearts of the people that would gather in that room, the impact that they are supposed to have on this region, any way that we as a church are supposed to serve them, oh God, that you would move our hearts. We want to be a part of a kingdom movement on this peninsula that no one church by ourselves can make the mark that you've called us to make, that we would do it together in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said together, amen, amen. Come on, that's good. All right, I'm going to open with reading a little recap from a story that we opened with at the um, anniversary service at the, at the end of January, just to kind of to get our minds moving back in the direction of our theme that we have for this year, Living in the Gap. This is written about a documentary called Man on Wire by director James Marsh. It says, on August 7th, 1974, just days before his 25th birthday, a young Frenchman named Philippe Petit who was a wire walker, juggler, and street performer, stepped out on a wire illegally rigged between what was then New York's Twin Towers. At the time, they were the world's tallest buildings. After nearly an hour of dancing on the wire, he was arrested, and of course, he was taken for psychological evaluation. He was brought to the jail and finally released. Following six and a half years of dreaming of the towers, Petit spent eight months in New York City planning the execution of this coup. Aided by a team of friends and accomplices, Petit was faced with numerous extraordinary challenges. He had to find a way to bypass the World Trade Center security, smuggle the heavy steel cable and the rigging equipment into the towers, pass the wire between the two rooftops, anchor the wires, tension it to withstand the winds and the swaying of the buildings. The rigging was done at night in complete secrecy, and then at 7.15 a.m., Philippe took his first step on the wire, 1,350 feet up in the air. James Marsh's documentary brings Petit's extraordinary adventure to life through the testimony of Philippe himself and some of the co-conspirators who helped create the unique and magnificent spectacle that became known as the artistic crime of the century. We opened with that at our anniversary service because we feel that it is a story that embodies the call of God on each of our lives, that we are going to dream a God-sized dream 
for ourselves, for collectively, for us as a church, that God wants us to do something with our lives that is so far beyond our humanity that it requires, dare we say, demands the intervention of his divinity. It's the verse that we find in Psalm 124, verses 1 and 2. It says, let Israel, in the text, but we've inserted city life. I hope you read the Bible that way. That you put other, when you see somebody else's name, God's speaking words of life to them, take out their name and insert your own name and read it to yourself. It's a great way to step into scripture. So what if the Lord had not been on our side? Let all of city life say, let it repeat. What if the Lord had not been on our side? Come on, when we dreamed that we, we could reach an entire generation through our student ministries. What if the Lord had not been on our side when we dreamed that we could change a community called Catherine Circle in Williamsburg? What if the Lord had not been on our side when we, we dreamed that we could change a community called Oyster Point Apartments right here in Newport News where the new outreach team is focusing their initial efforts? What if the Lord had not been on our side when we dreamed that one day when we breathed our last, this peninsula is a different place because of the life we lived, because of the dream we dreamt? We're going to dream a God-sized dream together as a church. Come on. Psalm 124 existence, out on the wire, living in the gap. When Vanessa and I first got married, we've been married 15 years in May, she drove this itsy-bitsy teeny-weeny, right? Date yourself. What's the end of the sentence? Right? Yeah. No, it wasn't that. She drove an itsy-bitsy teeny-weeny little red Ford Escort. We sold that as quickly as we could. Because I'm six foot three, I've lost a lot of weight. I was about 200 pounds then. 200 pounds. I looked like a circus clown every time we went somewhere in that car, climbing out of that thing. I just needed the big shoes and the big red nose. So I'm praying Friday afternoon over in the, in the chapel in the other building, just digging around in my heart for just this idea that we, we want to have a God-sized dream. And I was just talking about some of the dreams that I had and, and I felt like God said to me, I can't fit into that. That's too small for me. Felt like he, he said to me, and then that's where I picture, all of a sudden as I was praying, I pictured Vanessa's little red Ford Escort, right? Sometimes the dreams that we dream, we think that they're big, but they turn God into a circus clown trying to climb inside of it. God says to us, come on, I want you to dream something so big that it's so far beyond yourself that it necessitates, dare we say again, demands divine intervention. We want to dream a dream that big as a church collectively, and we want to be a church that helps your heart get to a place where you would dare to dream that kind of dream for yourself that you would dare to dream that kind of dream for your family, that you would dare to dream that kind of dream for your children, that we could have an impact with our lives of historic proportions. Come on, we like participation here at the City Life Church. So if you were 1,350 feet in the air, so, so if you look down and that was your foot on the cable, and way, 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 way down were the sidewalks of Manhattan, What's a word that comes to mind that would describe something that you're feeling? Nauseous, sick. Some of you have already thrown up on the wire, right? Not so good for the people down below. Amanda? Terrified. Terrified. Kevin? Stupid. There you go. Come on. Yeah. The wire. The wire. Yeah, yeah. Somebody else? Dustin? 
Excitement. Splat. Yeah, yeah. Not the, the, not the vision you're hoping for. Somebody else, what would you feel? What would be a feel? Ben? Death? Death. Somebody else? April? Big mistake. Clem? Landing hurts. Speaking of landing, today's your birthday, I understand. Yeah? That segue is terrible, isn't it? But you, sometimes you just force it in. So we can't ask the ladies this, but we can ask the men. So how old are you going to? How old am I? How, no, how old are you today? 36. 36. Come on, you can give it up for Clem. All right, come on, we, let's pray. Let's pray for Clem. We can do giveaways like this too, right? Father, we just lift Clem up to you today. We thank you the blessing that he and his family have been to this church for so many years, faithfully serving in so many different ways. And we thank you, God, that this family, it has a heart to dream a God-sized dream. And we say, let it be, whatever dream that you've dreamed for them, let it be in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said together, amen. amen. Come on, it's good. You know, the feeling that comes to mind for me is vulnerable. I think if I were out on that wire, I would feel vulnerable. And that's an important word for us for where we're going to be digging around in tonight and, and probably next week, at least over the next couple of weeks, is that God wants to get you to a place where you are comfortable being vulnerable with him. Because this picture is a dramatic picture for us most certainly of this idea of doing something that seems impossible, but it is also a picture of where God wants to take you to on the inside. It's most certainly a picture of where God wants to take us to out here, but it is absolutely a picture of where he wants to take us to inside in here that he wants us to get to a place where we are comfortable feeling vulnerable with him and in his presence. This is our big idea that we're going to unpack over the next couple of weeks. If we are going to do great exploits with God, we must feel a deep love for God. If we are going to do great exploits with God, then we must feel a deep love for God. If you're here tonight and you're saying, I am tired of a Christianity that is defined by expressionless intellectualism. God says to you, I am too. It doesn't have to be that way. You can feel deep things with your Heavenly Father. On the other hand, you might be here and say, Fred, I hear what you're saying, but I got to tell you, I'm a little suspect of a Christianity that's d defined by outrageous emotionalism. God says to you the same thing, I am too. I'm not talking about a, an emotionalism that's contrived. I'm not talking about something that's made up. I'm not talking about just getting into some type of frenzy just to draw attention to yourselves. I'm talking about a feeling that starts way down deep in here that you know could only be there because God put it there, and it, it makes your heart feel absolutely tender. It makes you say, I feel vulnerable with you right now, God. I feel vulnerable with you. God wants to take you to that place because out of that place, learning how to feel deep things with him, you will begin to see that he launches you out into doing great exploits with him. Daniel 11:32b. but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Where did we hear that verse just recently? Come on, Hal and Denise Abner bringing that message last week about how their families, the, 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 the country that they grew up in is a different country because their families went there when nobody else would. That's a God-sized dream. 
So Tuesday morning, you know, roll back into the office. You know, I take off from the pulpit in February of, of, of every year. And so I've had this series, you know, that's just been marinating in my heart for a month. For a month. I get into the office. I'm all excited and sit down and start hammering some things out. And God says, I want you to preach on Daniel 11.32. Like, God, I've been, I've been working on this other sermon over here for 30 days. 30 days. It's really good, you know. So I'm trying to convince God that this, you know, this series that I want to do, right? What's he saying? He's saying, hey, circus clown, who's in charge here? Daniel 11:32. So I'm like, okay, Lord, come on. You're the boss. So I'm opening up this text. Come on, digging around a little bit. It's interesting as you begin to dig into God's word. The Hebrew word for know is yada. And it, and it can mean to just know something, like you know that two plus two equals four, right? That's just, it's intellectual knowledge. It can mean that. But you also find it all throughout scripture where it means something much deeper. It's the same word that's used when, when, when Scripture tells us that Adam knew his wife, that he knew Eve. And we know that that means that they just weren't Facebook friends. They knew one another in a very personal way. It doesn't either just mean about their sexual encounter. It means that they entered into a life-defining, passion-filled relationship with one another that they gave their hearts to one another, that they were willing to step into a place where they were going to be emotionally vulnerable with one another. Yada. They knew each other. God says to us, the people who know their God, who are willing to be vulnerable with him, who are willing to feel a deep love for him, they shall be strong and carry out great exploits. If we want to do great exploits with God, then we must be willing, we must be willing to feel a deep love for him. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you, this is God speaking to us, come on, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. It's not because God is this touchy-feely, emotionally needy sovereign. It's because he wants to do great exploits with us. Not that he needs our help, but like a parent with their child, they find great joy in inviting their children into the places of doing things with one another. God has dreamed a God-sized dream for this universe, and he wants you and I to be part of it, not just in a general way, but in some very specific ways. And so he says to you and I, you have got to let me change your heart. You've got to let me take out that heart that's cold and hard and resistant to me, and let me put one in there that is willing to be vulnerable with me to feel deep things. Tim preached a great message in Williamsburg last weekend, and one of the texts that he dug around in a little bit was, a bit was the story of David and Goliath. David rushed into that valley to fight Goliath, not because he had done the math. Come on, you with me? He rushed into that valley because he felt something deep for his God. He rushed in to the greatest exploit of his day in his life up until that time, not because he was the greatest warrior, not because he was the one that was the most capable, 
If you know the story, you know that. He was the last one that anybody would have ever expected who would have been capable of accomplishing such a great thing. But he was the one who was willing to be the most vulnerable with his God. He was the one who was willing to feel the deepest for his God. And because of that, come on, he accomplished one of the greatest things in Israel's history. And for him, it was just the beginning. He conquered a giant, and soon he would conquer armies, and soon he would conquer nations. Great exploits because he felt deep. Are you unnecessarily private with your God-life emotions? So I was talking to a, a dad with young children a few months ago. And he said, I need some advice. I said, all right, I'll give you what I got. He said, we're, we're having some challenges with potty training. I said, let me pass the phone to Vanessa. No, I didn't say that. I said, so tell me, tell me what's happening. What's going on? So they were talking about their child. And they said, you know, when they, when they have to go potty, some, you know, really go potty, you know what I mean? They go in high. They go to the bathroom to pee, but when it comes time to really do the work, right, they go hide. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be coming into the room and, and, and right? You walk by, and they're back here. And they have a very distinct expression on their face. We know, we know that they're working on something. Come on, if, if you've parented young kids through the potty training process, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so, and so they, they were a little bit frustrated, and they were saying, you know, I'm going to put this back, because if not, I'm going to trip over it later, and that'll be fun for you, but it won't be fun for me. The, uh, they said, you, you know, we, we, we feel like, you know, she's, she's, she's being disobedient. She's being, she's being rebellious. She's hiding because she knows she's doing something wrong. So I said, well, I don't think so. Because we've potty trained three, right, ourselves, what you're discovering is that you're doing something right. You're not doing something wrong. You, sh you should be excited. Don't be frustrated. Be excited because you're making progress. Because your child has discovered that what's happening necessitates privacy. You have passed on something to your child that's very important social skill-wise. Right? Because <laughs> when they're little, they don't care. It could be in the middle of their baby dedication, right? And the expression comes, and we all know what that means. It's not because they're being intensely Pentecostal in the time of prayer. But you want your children to begin to understand there are certain things in life that necessitate privacy. Come on, it changes your outlook. So all of a sudden, right, they're proud parents. We're making progress, and they're going to get to a point where that's not enough privacy. They're going to get to the point where... And they did. The problem with us in our spiritual lives, in our spiritual lives, is that there are certain areas, especially our emotions, sometimes because people have taught us the wrong things. Can you imagine if I had said to them, you're absolutely right. You've got to draw the line into the sand. She needs to know who's boss, right? Could have been damaging to that child. But that's happened to many of us, many of you, in a different way. You grew up in a home where maybe parents or whoever was responsible for you was saying to you, hey, these feelings that you want to talk about with God, that's a, that's a private thing. We don't talk about that. 
Or maybe you were in a service and, and you felt something deep. No matter what kind of church that you grew up in. I grew up in the Episcopal Church. Some of my deepest God encounters I remember as a child was at the end of those services singing the doxology. I love to just sing the doxology. I'm not going to sing it now because it would not be pleasant for you, but I love to sing the doxology. I feel something deep for God in those moments. Maybe you grew up in a home or maybe you begin to cry a little bit and on the way home your parents said, hey, we don't do that in church. You with me? And, and you entered into a place where you've always looked for privacy in your God life with your feelings. We say at the City Life Church all the time, your relationship with God, it is deeply personal, but it is seldom private. It's seldom private. And it's hard sometimes because everything inside of us, everything inside of us wants to be freer and are feeling deeply, but we have all of these voices that are just resounding and echoing in our head, don't do it, right? And some of you know who I'm talking about. You come in, you, you come in. It's like if you're going to a timeshare presentation. You've made a pact with one another. We are not buying anything. We're here for the free stuff, and that's it. Some of you come to church that way in your heart. I don't care what he says, I am not going to cry. I don't care what happens in that service. I don't care if a dead person gets raised to life. I will not shed a tear because that's, that's private. That's private. I'm not talking about giving up your dignity. God, God's not in the business of demeaning people, but he is in the business of giving you a new heart that feels deep. And sometimes that means that a tear is going to fall from your eye. That's, hey, that's, we got tissue boxes. We lay them out because we're coming expectant. We want you to feel something deep with your God. He feels deep. He feels deep for you. And he wants you to discover a, a depth of feeling. He wants you to get to a place where, where you're just a little bit comfortable with stepping out of your privacy with the feelings of the heart that's deep, deep inside. And I'm telling you, if you'll give yourself to those moments in worship, if you'll, give your, if you'll just let your heart begin to feel. In that moment, I'm telling you, God is already doing it. He's given you a heart transplant. Don't resist the master physician. Don't resist him. All right, John 21, 1 through 17. I love this story. John 21, 1 through 17. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. So Jesus has, has died three days. He's in the tomb. He's been raised from the dead. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other of his disciples were together. Peter says, I'm going fishing. We're coming with you, they told him. And they went out and they got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it was him. And he says, men, Jesus caught it. You didn't catch any fish. I think he's talking a little smack, actually, if I can read into it that way. <laughs> Doesn't look like you guys have much in the boat. Nope, they answered. And under their breath, they said, but we'll talk to you about it a little bit more if you wait for us once we get to shore, right? Because these fishermen, they're, they're tough characters. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did. 
And I think about now they begin to remember something was happening because if, if you've read through the Gospels, you know that this is one of the ways that Jesus introduced himself to these very men three years earlier. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Therefore, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John, who's writing this gospel, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around himself because he was stripped, and he plunged into the sea. But since they were not far from the land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter got up and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask who you are because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he, he gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Here it comes. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? We're going to talk next week about what the more than these represents. Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, he told him. A second time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, come on, once for each of his three betrayals. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time. Why? Because he knew why he had to ask him three because of his three denials just days before. Do you love me, he said. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep, Jesus said. There's an implied then in this text. What does that mean? Of all of the ways, of all the ways that Jesus could have restored Peter, he talks to him about love. He talks to him about love. And of all the ways he could have followed up his three questions of love, he follows them up with work that he's supposed to do. Why is that? Because Jesus understands the prophet Daniel. Those who know their God are going to do great exploits. He knows that Peter's heart has to love again if he's going to fulfill his destiny. Because Jesus knows that Peter... If he is going to do great exploits with God, then he must be willing to feel a deep love for God again. He is giving Peter spiritual CPR right here on the beach. There's an implied then. What is that? It means that if we love, then we'll do great exploits. If we are willing to let our hearts feel deep things for God, then he says to you and I, come on, let's do something grand together. I'm not going to read these texts, but I'm giving to you for you 
note takers in Deuteronomy 5, 4 through 10, and then in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 5, we, you find that, that here is a, a restating of the giving of the Ten Commandments and some of the promises that are affiliated with the Ten Commandments, especially there in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 5. That's where Moses writes this, this great statement that Jesus then reaches back to, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This idea that there's got to be a love for God. It's interesting, and when you look in Deuteronomy chapter 5, 4 through 10, that, that God begins to talk to them about idolatry. Don't make graven images. Don't bow down to graven images. Don't build things that you're going to worship instead of me. And if we're not careful, we begin to view God as someone who's jealous of something. But there's, it's different to be jealous for something versus being jealous of something. God is jealous of nothing. When you're jealous of something, it's because you're insecure. When you're jealous of something, it's because you feel threatened by it. God does not tell us not to commit the sin of idolatry because he's jealous of idols. He doesn't feel threatened by that. Come on, he says that because he's jealous for us. I'm jealous for my wife. I'm jealous for my children. I'm jealous for this church. I'm jealous for your families because there's a love in my heart that goes deep for you. There's a love in my heart that goes deep for my family. There's a love in my heart that goes deep for my wife beyond any other love in this world beyond my love for Christ. God is jealous for you. He's jealous for you. He says to us, don't let things enter into your life that displace your affections for me, not because he feels threatened by those things, but because he is trying to protect our hearts. Why is he trying to protect our hearts? Because he has great exploits for us to accomplish. And he knows that if we're going to do great exploits with him, then we must have a deep love for him. All of the instruction all of God's vengeance at time that's poured out upon people who violate those things. It's serious business, not because he's a God that's insecure and feels threatened, because he wants us to understand what's at stake. There are parts of our destinies that will not be fulfilled unless they are born out of a deep passion, out of a deep feeling. All right, so we're going to talk about being alert, and then I'm going to pick up next week with two others. We're going to talk about being open and being patient. But let's talk about being alert. If we're going to let our hearts begin to feel deeply for God, we need to understand something. 1 Peter 5, 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We believe that the devil's real. We believe that there's evil at work in the world. It's not just bad people doing bad things. There's bad influences behind bad people. We're not looking for Satan behind every corner, but we know that he is alive and active in the world. He's a real presence. Just as he was a real presence in times of Scripture, come on, he's a real presence in the world today. And he will be until the end of time. And he knows everything that we're talking about tonight. He gets it. Come on. He was once in the heavenlies before he rebelled against God and was expelled with the other fallen angels. He understands the principles of the kingdom of heaven, which is one of the reasons why he's such an incredible adversary. He understands that there are great exploits that we are called to do against his kingdom. And so one of the things that he's at work in the world doing is keeping your heart hard. One of the things that he's at work in the world doing, as he did with Peter, he wants you to be 
emotionally damaged. He wants you to be emotionally damaged so that you'll be functionally disabled. Satan wanted Peter to be emotionally damaged because he did not want Peter to fulfill his purpose and to fulfill his destiny. But because part of his destiny was to defeat the enemy. Part of his destiny was to stand against the kingdom of darkness. When I made a vow of devotion to Christ in December of 1990, one of the things that I got angry at, I got angry at myself because I realized, come on, I thought that I had just been playing it neutral for my whole life. And I began to realize there's no neutrality in the spiritual war that's taking place in this world. You're either advancing the kingdom of heaven or you're advancing the kingdom of darkness. And if you're not advancing the kingdom of heaven, then guess which one you're pushing forward. And I remember, come on, as a 23-year-old, being angry at myself, being allowing myself to have been duped and deceived to work against the one who loved me the most. I thought I was just resisting him, and what I didn't realize, I was advancing the other. The devil will do whatever he can to give us a hard heart, because he does not want us to feel deep for God because he does not want us to accomplish the exploits that we've called to. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31. Come on, we're not making this stuff up because it sounds good. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. If you were here, Nate, a couple of weeks ago, preached that great message on the threshing floor and that, that we all want to be threshed. If you weren't here, you should podcast that. And then you read verses like this and you, you realize what Satan was asking for, this idea of how the, 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 the harvest was thrown up into the air. It was a violent process. It was a dirty, dusty process. God threshes us because he's trying to get rid of the chaff. Satan likes to thresh us. He likes to sift us because he doesn't believe that there's anything good inside of us. He wants to bring us to a place he wants to bring us to a place where we will begin to believe a lie that we're nothing but chaff. So he wants to sift Peter because he's saying, I don't, I, don't, I don't think there's, see that evil never sees good in anybody else. And God says, all right, I'm going to let you sift Peter, right? I'm going to let you sift him because God knows that there's a grain that's going to be left. There's a substance that's going to be there. There's going to be a getting rid of that we all need to be gotten rid of out of our lives. The devil is coming against Peter because he does not want Peter to stand up and be the pillar of the church that he's called and destined to become. Matthew 26, 70 through 75. Come on, but he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. And when he had gone out to the, to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, come on, this man, this is Satan sifting Peter. This man was with Jesus, the Nazarene, and again he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. Come on, and if you keep reading through the text on to verse 75, you see that he denies him a third time. It says that he even cursed God in that moment. Think of all the ways that Satan could have brought a temptation into Peter's life. Are you with me? All the ways he could have tempted Peter. Some hottie could have rolled up next to him at the fire. It's a little chilly tonight, don't you think? You look a little lonely, Peter. But that's not what happened, was it? An old friend could have come up, you know, with a little flask of Middle Eastern moonshine. Come on, you're looking a little down. I got the answer for you. That's not what happened. It's, every, come on, everything in the Bible is instructive. 
Satan came at Peter at an emotional level. He brought an emotional temptation to Peter. He wanted Peter to deny Christ at an emotional level. All of those other things could have brought shame to Peter. All of those other things could have impacted Peter to a degree. But he came to him at his love for Christ. He wanted Peter's heart to be hard. He wanted his heart to be cold. He wanted his heart to be calloused. Because Lucifer understands that if we're going to do great exploits with God, then we need to feel a deep love for God. And he is intimidated by Peter's passion for Christ. And he steps in and he wants to shut it down. Now, why is that? Come on. It's all here. Matthew 16. Listen to this, 13 through 19. Matthew 16, 13 through 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, so we've moved back in time prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Come on, a question we all need to answer. Simon Peter answered, oh, come on, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, it's a play on word because Petros Peter means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And what does he say? He doesn't stop there. And the forces of Hades, that's hell, will not overpower it. Come on, I'm telling you, Lucifer says, whoa-oh, we're going after him. We're going after him. And we're going to go after his heart. Because if he's going to do these kinds of exploits, I know exactly how to stop him. Be alert. Protect your heart. Feel a deep love for him. Great exploits with him are waiting a Psalm 124 existence out on the wire, living in the gap. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. You know, first Saturdays for us are an especially sacred Saturday because it's where we share the Lord's Supper with us, communion. The bread and the juice that represent the blood and the body that Jesus laid down on the cross for you and I. Why? So we, so we could step into moments just like this. So we could step into moments just like this. Because when Jesus was on that cross 2,000 years ago, I'm telling you, he saw your face. I, he saw every face, I believe, of every person who was ever going to live. Everyone. And I'm telling you, with every face he saw, he felt something deep for you. He felt something deep for you. He felt something deep for you. How, how, how deep, come on, is the human heart? It's a, it's a depth beyond discovery. And if our heart is that deep, how deep is his, who has been eternal forever? How much feeling do you think that he has for you? So tonight, you're going to hold in your hand a piece of bread. And you're going to hold a cup of juice. 
I'm just trusting that in that moment that something's going to begin to stir in your heart. I'm just trusting that, that in this moment because we know that, that God's here and He wants to reach in and He wants to take out the heart that's there that's hard and stubborn and calloused and cold. You might have good reason for why your heart is that way. But all the same, he wants to take it out. And he wants to put one in there in turn that feels something deep for him. He wants you to be able to love him back. Because there's great things that he's called you to do with your life. There's a destiny that you're supposed to fulfill. And if we're going to do great exploits with him, then we've got to feel something deep for him. And I want to invite you to feel for him tonight. Maybe you've never felt for him before. Feel for him tonight. I'm going to invite you to stand. and The ushers are going to come. It's an open communion, which means that you don't have to be a, a member of this congregation to share in this with us. We only ask that, that you can look back into your story and that there's a point in your life where you find that you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. And if you can't find that moment, then you just found it. You take that bread, you take that cup, and let tonight be the night that you say, Jesus, all that I am, I give to you. All that I am, I give to you. Father, we, we want to give ourselves to you. Over these next 30 minutes that we have together, we want to dance with you. We want to walk with you. We want to feel your embrace. We want to hear all the things that you want to whisper to us. But above all, but above all, we want to give you the heart that we have and we want to take the one that you would put in place, the one that you would give us in turn. I want to give you permission tonight, come on people, to feel something deep for him. Let's worship together. If you're assigned for prayer, I'm going to invite you to come and take your spot.